we continue this week in Kriyat Shema. Last week we spoke about Ve'ahavtat Hashem Alokecha and that paragraph which spoke about love of Hashem and all the ideas of sacrificing oneself for Hashem and learning to develop that personal individualistic um, love and reciprocal relationship with Hashem. And in this uh, next paragraph, Behayam Shamatishmu, we jump from Parashat Vethanan to Parashat Ekev in Parak Aleph. And this paragraph was an instruction from Moshe Rabbeinu and a caution to Bnei Israel on their way to Eretz Israel that they were going to, they, their children especially, were going to um, enter the land of Bnei Israel. And this was a Nivuah cautioning them how to behave once they reach the land. So, if one finds oneself, let me interrupt for a second with some halacha. If, when we move from Vehafta to Vehaya, if you find yourself in a situation where you want to um, interrupt, let's say someone asks, says to you, hello, let's say uh, uh, somebody walks by you that's very important. So there's halachot for this. Are you allowed to interrupt in the middle of Kriyat Shema? So in the middle of the parashiot, you're not really allowed to interrupt. There's, there's three different levels. The first level is if you're in the middle of the Pasuk Shema, Yisrael Shem Elkein Hashem Achad, or Baruch Shem, you're not allowed to interrupt unless it's Sakanat Nefashot. However, if you're in the paragraph of Ve'ahavta or Ve'haya, if you're in the middle of the Pasukim, you can only interrupt Mipnei Yirah for if you're intimidated, somebody who you're Chayav and Yirah for, someone you have a Chiyuv of Yirah, for them, you're allowed to interrupt. But for someone who you just have a chiyuv of kavod, you have a chiyuv to uh, to respect. For them, you can only interrupt if you're in between the paragraphs. So, for example, if your rabbi walks by, and it would be insulting if you do not say shalom alecha rabbi. In between the paragraphs, you could say shalom alecha rabbi. If you're if you hear a davar shebekedusha, right? Let's say you hear kaddish and you have to answer your yeheshmer uh, or you have to answer kedusha. You're allowed to interrupt. For Kedusha. If you heard Modim Dirabanan, you can only reply with the mm. word Modim. You can't reply with the entire uh, paragraph, um, as well as in Kedusha, you can't say Naktishach. You can also only answer Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. You can only say the, the core words because you're not allowed to interrupt for anything else. Now, according to most, this second section of Vihaya is added to Kriyat Shema Midirabanan. There's a few different Shitot. Um, how many of these paragraphs are Doraita? Does the Torah actually command us to say every day? So most of the Rishonim hold that Shema Yisrael through Ve'ahavta is Doraita. The Rambam and the Balei Tosafot hold that even Ve'haya is Doraita, but most of the Poskim hold that Ve'haya is Drabanan and Ve'yomer is Drabanan. Oh, sorry, everyone, almost everyone agrees Ve'yomer is Drabanan. It has a, a Zechirat Yitziat Mitzrayim, but fundamentally its addition is a chiyuv dirabanan to say every day. Some hold that the chiyuv is only the single pasuk of Shema Yisrael Shema Kenashem Achad and Baruch Shem. Some hold that that's the entire Doraita. <clears throat> However, the, the halacha is that um, the first paragraph, we, we were forsake that the first paragraph has the status of Doraita and the next ones were machmir like the Rambam sometimes, but the halacha is that it's dirabanan. Now, why did, if this is true, that uh, this whole section is the Rabbanan, then why did the Chachamim see it necessary to add this section to 
uh, Kriyat Shema. Why did they Why did they add it to Kriyat Shema and tell us that we have to say it every day? So now it does say Uvshoch Bechav Kumecha in this paragraph, right? And when you rise and when you and when you and when you go when you when you go to sleep and when you arise, but it doesn't say Vehayuha Devarim Ha'ela. Doesn't say that these words you should say every day when you get up and when you when 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 you lay down. Doesn't specifically say that you're chayav to say Kriyat Shema every day. So the Gemara Brachot explains. It's in the Gemara Daf Yud Gimel where it's discussing why we why the Parashiot of Kriyat Shema are in this are in the order they are. So the first pshat the Gemara says is that they have two two different functions. And they logically follow one to the other. The first paragraph of Kriyat Shema is Kabbalat Ol Malchut Shamaim, is as we know the the accepting the sovereignty of Hashem, and we meditate on the Yichud, and how Hashem is our King, and how we are Chayav to serve Him. And what logically follows that is Kabbalat Ol Mitzvot that we have to accept that because Hashem is our King, and because He is the Melech, He is uh, we've accepted His yoke. We have to fulfill his commandments. That's basically the definition of a of a king, a sovereign and subject relationship. Now, the Shimon Bar Yochai is quoted in the Gemara as saying that the order is explained by a gradation of their contents. The first paragraph discusses Lilmod Lilamed Velasot. The first paragraph has the Chiyuv of Limud HaTorah. And then it has the chiyuv of teaching, v'shinatam, and it has the chiyuv of mitzvot. It also includes uh, a few mitzvot like uh, like mezuzat, filin, and um, <clears throat> and shema, etc. Now the second paragraph speaks of the mitzvot, and it speaks of uh, lilamed. And the third paragraph speaks only about the mitzvot. It's the third paragraph is vayomer. It only speaks about tzitzit. So that's why the first one comes uh, the first one which has the most topics uh, is first and then the second paragraph has two topics it's second lastly the mitzvot is in the third paragraph it is third now as we're going to see the gist of the entire paragraph of this instruction or this caution from Moshe Rabbeinu is that the commandments of Hashem have consequences that when Hashem gives us mitzvot whether if we fulfill them or if we don't fulfill them it's going to have consequences on our daily lives so let's begin the Pesukim themselves. It says, <coughs> I'm sorry I didn't bring you a Sidor. Okay. And it shall be if you will continuously continuously listen. Over here it says Shamoa uh, twice. right? So Rashi learns um, that Shamoa Tishmu means that if you have listened from before, that will help you listen continually. Or I mean, if you will listen to the Divya Torah and you will chazer them and you will do chazerah, That'll help you also be mekabel. Shema has the has the connotation, not just listening but accepting. So if you will continuously listen, El Misvotai, to my commandments, Asher Hayom, that I shall command you on this day. And the Kafa Chaim says that we should pause between Hayom and the next word because we don't want it to sound like Asher Hayom Hashem, that we should only uh, that we should only love Hashem today. So the next word is to love Hashem your God. What is the command that I'm going to command to you today? To love Hashem your God. Now, if you think about the Hebrew grammar, the correct grammar would be le'ehov et Hashem to love your God. Right? When we say le'ahava, it means to make love possible. 
So we've explained last week this idea, and the Hasidei Chabad also explained this idea, that Le'ahov would be a commandment that we cannot, that Hashem or Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't command of us. We couldn't command us to simply automatically love Hashem. We had to, we had to generate love. We couldn't self-generate love. We can't just automatically love Hashem. We have to make love possible. We have to meditate on how Hashem loves us. And that, reciprocally, will allow us to love Hashem. So, le'ahavat Hashem lo'kechem means to make loving Hashem possible. The next word is, u'lovdo b'chol u'v'chol And to serve Him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. So, lo'ovdo, the Gmaran Tanit, the first page of Tanit, um, it says that, e'zuhu avodah shebalev zuhi tefillah. What is the avodah of the heart? This is tefillah. In other words, it says, and we should serve Hashem with all our heart. And generally in the Torah, when it says to serve Hashem with avodah, that connotation means in the Beit HaMikdash with korbanot and all the service which is done in the Beit HaMikdash or in their time in the Mishkan. So what does it mean avodah in the heart? That means tefillah. The Rambam learns from that Gemara. We've discussed this in the first shiur all the way back. The Rambam understands that that means that the chiyuv of tefillah is the oraita, that the, the, the requirement to pray at least once daily is a chiyuv from the Torah, from this pasuk, the Ramban holds it an asmachta, but this would this single pasuk is the core um, source for us our chiyuv to pray to Hashem, which again has its own interesting uh, implications. That Hashem commands us to pray to Him, not that it's a human initiative, not that it's the Rabbanan. If it was completely a chiyuv the Rabbanan, that would mean prayer was a human innovation, a human invention. But in this understanding of the mitzvah, it is a divine uh, command rather than a human innovation. The next two words are the, the, the next words of this pasuk that we I'm sorry we just mentioned them. So if you notice, um, firstly, it's saying everything in the in the plural tense instead of saying it says so kan kan the the, this uh, language indicates that this message of Moshe Rabbeinu was not directed towards the individuals, it was directed towards the community. This is much more of a, this paragraph has ideas which are, uh, which imply more of a message to a community of people than a message to simple, to just to individuals. The first paragraph was to individuals and it taught us on how to love Hashem and how to work on that love and to get closer to Hashem with the Torah. Over here, and, and with the Yehud of Hashem, over here, it's addressing the broader community. And the Ramban says that all of the things that it's going to list in this paragraph, all the consequences for doing mitzvot and the consequences for doing averot are explicit miracles. It says that we're going to uh, see supernatural uh, prosperity in our land if we do the mitzvot. And so the Ramban says this kind of ness is only possible for great tzaddikim and for multitudes of people. If you have large multitudes of people which need Hashem's help, this kind of supernatural intervention will happen for multitudes of people or tzaddikim. Individuals do not get this type of hashkacha pratit. Don't, they don't get this type of supernatural um, intervention. So this is why it's Belashon Rabim, because these promises are only for a Rabim. Mm-hmm. Now, it says nafshichem. In the first parasha, we said b'chol nafshicha. Oh, sorry. Nafshicha, uh, <laughs> what's the language? Sorry. Uh... We also said meodecha. Over here, we skip out meodecha. Instead of saying meodechem, with all of your possessions in the plural, 
We, we simply say, So, why is this so? So, the Sefer Maskila David, he suggests that perhaps it's because the Torah never um, expects that the Rabim is going to have these kinds of issues. We, dis- mm-hmm. we discussed last week that Bechol Maodecha is a type of person whose possessions are more valuable to him than his life. Right? Bechol Nafshecha is a person who values his life more than his possessions, and Bechol Maodecha is for a person who va- values his possessions more than his life. The Torah doesn't expect that to be a problem of the majority. It's a problem of a minority of people. Certain people are going to have this issue that they're going to not be able to... Uh, overcome their passion for their possessions, but the Torah doesn't expect this to be a problem. For most people, it's only a problem for some people. Therefore, it does not say, for all your possessions. Says the, the Torah further, Now, if you do all these things, I shall send rain for your... Um, I'm sorry. I, I sense... Right. And I shall send rain for your land in its proper season. The early rain and the late rain. And then you will gather in your grain. And your wine and your oil. So an interesting thing to note here is that all of these blessings here are agricultural in nature. So the um, it might seem a little bit archaic for the Torah to give us blessings which are so dependent on an, on an agricultural economy. It, to, for us today, we say this every day, but it doesn't really uh, hit home with us because we don't live in an economy which is so dependent on, on an agricultural way of life. Rabbi, Rabbi Schwab says a, a story that happened to him with, uh, when he was, speaking, <coughs> he was speaking to a representative of a conservative shul, and the guy told him that in our Nusach, Right, we decided to take out vihaya because all of these things there are for these ancient agricultural societies, and therefore we took out uh, vihaya because it doesn't really broadly appeal to the masses today. And so Rabbi Schwab told him, "You you missed the actual point of the entire parasha. The parasha says that th- the commandment of this paragraph is la'avat Hashem alokechem to love Hashem your God, to love Dovachol and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul." That, that's the crux of this paragraph. The, the rest of it is not uh, is something that you should throw away, but you've also missed the entire point of the paragraph. So there's two ways to understand um, the, there's two ways to understand the agricultural lean of these pesukim. One is al Hapshat, which is very simple, and it's the truth which is that Moshe Rabbeinu was speaking to a, to a community which lived almost 3,000 years ago and was anticipating a migration into a land that they had never seen before. This was a community who lived in a time where they would have very, very, very much appreciated a promise for a healthy economy. And in their terms, an agriculturally health, a, a healthy agriculture and a healthy economy made a lot of sense to them, and it was a real bracha. So... This was a sensible thing for Hashem to promise them that when they got to Eretz Yisrael, they will have a healthy economy. And Moshe Rabbeinu was telling it to them in their language. That's Alpiderech Hapshat. Now, Alpiderech Kabbalah, the Zohar says that this entire, this entire section is speaking about uh, the, the Biat HaMashiach and the, and the Olam Haba. And 
he says that in the future, all of the neshamot of Bnei Yisrael are going to be gathered back. We're going to have a kibbutz galiot. And these pesukim refer to that form of redemption. Um, and he he has all different, uh, the Tsar has all different kamachiot for, for the different words in this in this pasuk. But he says, Ve'asafta and you shall gather digonecha v'tiroshcha v'serecha refers to three different categories of the souls of B'nai Yisrael. Three different neshamot, which also correspond to the three different mitzvot of tzedakah, leket shecha upeah. Um, these three categories of the souls of Bnei Yisrael will be gathered back together. We will have all the souls of Bnei Yisrael together, which will come back together when Mashiach comes. Now, there's those are really the the fundamental two ways to learn it. Either you're going to learn it al piderach abshat, or you can learn it al piderach asod. If you wanted to learn it al piderach abshat, one could also apply these words today. That not just is it. Uh, not, not just is an ag- agricultural economy something that is important to today's economy, which is obvious. Every economy benefits from an agricultural eco- from an ag- from a healthy agriculture. But we could also learn uh, study these verses metaphorically. That for us in our days, you know, sowing and, and reaping and doing your harvest would all uh, correspond to our forms of work today. Now the asafta the gemaram brachot and daf lamed heimud bet says. Uh, it points out that and you shall gather in your grain is actually a quasi-klala, that you're going to have to get, gather in your grain yourself. The Gemara over there says that if a person merits properly, if a person learns Torah properly, he will, be, he will merit that others will gather his grain in for him so that he himself can sit and learn. If a person is actually on that level, he won't have to gather his grain for himself. It's not like that nowadays anyway. Some people... So, yeah, exactly. Some people uh, uh, have that uh, that bracha. So says the pasuk, the, the next pasuk, and I shall also give grass in your field, for your cattle, and you will eat and you will be satiated. So we learn a few things from this pasuk. Rashi says that means that there's two different types of bracha. One is achila, one is the bracha of being able to eat. The other is sevia, which is that you could that you could be healthy from the food that you eat, and that it should satiate you. The halacha that we learn out of this pasuk is that you have to feed your animals before you eat. It says levhem first, you feed your animal, and then vechalta From here we learn that this is the Jewish law that before a person is allowed to sit down for his meal, he has to make sure he has fed his animals. This is uh, something we've seen, I mean, any Jewish family that owns a cat or a dog today, most people don't own cattle or most Jewish people don't uh, raise farm animals anymore. But uh, for people who have pets, the minhag and the halacha is that they feed their animals before they sit down to eat. It's a beautiful mitzvah, and it's also a uh, logical thing, because once you eat, you're going to forget. Once you once you eat, it's going to slip your mind to feed your animal. This is the halacha for feeding your animals, but for, for giving them, for drinking, that's not the same halacha. You're allowed to drink before your animals. Um, the, the Torah doesn't instruct us that far. You could, you could give them uh, to drink after you've done your meal. Um, uh, watch for yourselves. Perhaps your hearts will turn astray uh, or be seduced. And you shall turn away. And you will serve alien gods, foreign gods. And you will prostrate yourselves to them. You will bow before them. So the Mepharshim explain that uh, a lot of the Rishonim put it in this terminology as well. And when it says you're going to serve foreign gods, it doesn't mean simply that you're going to 
to bow down to pagan, I pagan idols. Today, especially, we don't relate to this very easily because we don't live in a very polytheistic world. Most of the, the, the most of the main religions are monotheistic, at least they claim to be, and um, the the polytheistic religions are pretty much a minority. They explain that the idea of Elohim Achirim are obsessions or passions that are not directed towards God. And these are all sorts of worldly things that people can get obsessed about. They could be money, it could be your possessions, it could be uh, a career, it could be... There's, there's all sorts of things that people could get obsessed about, That uh, science, things that they could almost worship, sports, things that people can really devote and worship themselves uh, and worship and not have these and have these obsessions which are totally divorced uh, from Hashem. So the Torah Menachem actually asks a very interesting question. He says, if that's true, and that's what the Pasuk is demanding of us, is that really a, a realistic demand? There's always going to be people who have powerful passions. There's always going to be people who you know, are going to have a passion for sports. They're going to have a passion for money. They're going to have a passion for their career. Is it, isn't that overly idealistic? Isn't it, is, it, is it a realistic demand for us that the Torah is asking us to lay away all of our passions and not serve any minor thing which is not towards God. So he answers that when one is saying Kriyat Shema, this will make sense. When a person is in the mindset of Kriyat Shema and he has his mind focused on Yehud Hashem and he has his mind focused on Kabbalat Ol Machut Shemayim and he has his mind focused on Kabbalat Ol Machut and he realizes that Milvado, that there's only Hashem and the a whole his whole life is only worth living to direct towards Hashem. These kinds of thoughts will will flow naturally. In the when when a person has his mind in Kriyat Shema, these kinds of ideas do make sense, even though they might be idealistic. If a person um, thinks about it carefully and thinks about it seriously, he will realize that all of his life life's passions are because of Hashem. He has to have gratitude to Hashem to give him all his life's passions or pleasures, and he has to direct all of his he should strive to direct all of his passions towards Hashem. Uh, further in the Psukim, it says, V'chara af Hashem. Now it speaks, the, the, the Minhag Ben Eshchai brings to say this, uh, uh, these next words until uh, uh, to say them quietly. So, because it's a uh, strong language. V'chara af Hashem and the wrath of Hashem will ignite Bechem against you. V'atzara teshemayim and he will stop up the heavens. V'lo matar and there will be no rain. And the earth will not give forth its yield. You shall quickly perish. From the good land which Hashem has given you. So Rashi here says Mehera, and he brings from the Sifri. He brings something very bewildering. The Sifri says that Mehera means I'm not going to give you a grace period. The Dor HaMabul, I gave them 120 years because they didn't know, they didn't have anyone to learn from. They were the first, uh, you know, they were the beta version. They had no one to learn from. They had no alpha. They had no idea um, what to uh, expect or who to learn from. These later generations understand that if they misobey my will, that they should be destroyed. And therefore, I will destroy you quickly. Now, the Sifri does say this, but I personally am going to leave this off as a question. I don't understand the Sifri very well because we know that Hashem gave them 400 years. The time of the Beit HaMikdash, the Beit HaMikdash stood for, literally, both of them stood for 400 years, even through thick and through thin. And Hashem had a lot of patience for B'nai Israel. So I'm not clear as to how this Haftacha, that the Sifri says that Hashem promised them, was fulfilled. I'm sure, I'm sure it's correct, and I'm sure it was fulfilled. 
but I'm not sure how it exactly how it was fulfilled. So before we we get back to this, I want to get back to this in a second. This uh, this whole uh, doomsday, uh, this whole uh, uh, punishment theme. Uh, just going to do the next pasuk. You should put these words of mine upon your heart and upon your and upon your soul. And you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand. And you shall put and uh, and they should be as a tefillin between your eyes. And you shall teach them to your children to speak of them. When you sit in your home, and when you travel on the road, and when you retire, and when you shall arise, you shall write them upon the doorposts of your home and, upon, and on your gates. We discussed the, the gist of these pesukim uh, last week. Now Rashi says something interesting. Uh, he brings, he quotes the Sifri in, in an interesting way. Rashi says that the the purpose of the mitzvah of tefillin and and mezuzot is that they should be like <laughs> markers for you, like 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 uh, like landmarks. That when you go out into the galut, you should continue to fulfill these mitzvot, so that when you get back to Eretz Yisrael, it shouldn't be like they're new mitzvot to you. It shouldn't be like oh, uh, Mashiach comes now we're coming back to Eretz Yisrael, and so. Uh, all, we have to we have to do the mitzvot now, and therefore, oh, what are all these new mitzvot? The tefillin and mezuzot, we have to do them in galut, and also should we, we should remember them when when Mashiach comes. It's a very interesting statement to make, which sounds like the whole point of doing the mitzvot after the churban is only because uh, we have to remember them when we get back to Eretz Yisrael, and that's patently untrue. It's not like we're doing uh, tefillin. We're not. It's not like we're wearing tefillin and mezuz and putting up a mezuzah simply because. Hashem wants us to remember the commandments for when Mashiach comes. That's not the reason we do the mitzvot. And the Ramban points this out. He points out that this 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 uh, this idea is very complex. And he says there's a sod in this. It's really the, the the midrash doesn't really mean this. It means something much much deeper than that. And these two two mitzvot have a special uh, are, are representative of some special kabbalistic system. Now, I heard another. I, I saw another shot which I thought was amazing, um, and that is that. The girsa in Rashi is incorrect, and it's very clever because if you look at the Sifri, the, the, the Ramban clearly had this girsa in Rashi, but Rashi says, um, "Let me just take out the language." Uh, the language of Rashi is, "Is samtem et devarai." Says Rashi, "Af lacharshin et galu hayu mitzuyanu bimesod hanichu tefillin vasu mezuzot." So in uh, when people write in shorthand in Hebrew, sometimes they write abbreviations. So, taf vav mem can be tfilim, tfilim mezuzot. So, one of the commentaries in Rashi suggests that perhaps Rashi wrote taf vav mem, and people and the sofer thought it was tfilim mezuzot, but what it actually was was trumotu masrot. And so Rashi was saying that you should still keep Truman Maaser outside of, of Eretz Yisrael, which there is such a Dirabanan for certain types like like uh, like Yashan and certain Halachot outside of Eretz Yisrael in order so that when you come back uh, in time of Mashiach, you should still be used to it and shouldn't be Kechadashim. So that would be a, a very interesting uh, idea, a very interesting answer if it's true. But the way Rashi says it, the Aragersan Rashi and the Ramban's Gersan Rashi doesn't align with that because Rashi doesn't say Hanichu uh, or Asei Tafav Mem. He just says Hanichu Tfilin Vasu Mezuzot. So it doesn't really uh, align with Ara Girsav Rashi or the Ramban's Girsav Rashi. 
whoever, that's a Tzarich Iyun on what Rashi means, and for all those who understand the Ramban's Kabbalistic reasons, they'll understand what the significance is of those two mitzvot, and Rashi, I'm sure, understood as well. So now the last pasuk, and we're going to get back to the Sarbonus right now, is Leman Yubuimechem, do this so that your days will be prolonged as well as the days of your children. Al ha'adama upon the land, Hashem lavotechem, that Hashem swore to your forefathers, latet lahem, to give to them, kimei ha'shemayim ala aretz, like the days of the heaven over the earth, meaning forever. So, the Gemara says that this pasuk is, is, a, is a source for tchiat metim in the Torah. Because it says that Hashem promised to your forefathers, Avraham Yitzchak and Yaakov, to give them the land, to give them, Avraham Yitzchak and Yaakov, the land of Eretz Yisrael, forever. Which means that Avraham Yitzchak and Yaakov are themselves going to inherit Eretz Yisrael, which would indicate that they themselves will be resurrected and there will be a Tuchiyat HaMetim. And it's not Latet Lachem, it's Latet Lachem, to give to them as well. So they're going to be resurrected um, in Olam Abba, in the, in, the in the time of Biat HaMashiach. And this this is the uh, the connotation that the entire pasuk of Lumani Buhimechem Vimebnechem that your days will be prolonged. Generally, when we talk about prolonging days in the Torah, it's a reference to Olam Haba, and that we will have a schar in Olam Haba. Now, this entire the topic of the entire paragraph begs the question: Is there a reward for mitzvot in this world? Because our the paragraph this parasha clearly says that if we do misvote, we're going to get a direct reward. Even if it's supernatural, we're, we're getting explicitly, the Torah says that if you do misvote, you're going to get, you're going to get a supernatural uh, um, prosperity and, and benevolence from Hashem. So, the Mishnah and Kiddushin, and it, one would assume that perhaps we do not, perhaps one could assume that we do not get schar uh, in this world from misvote. Maybe we only get schar in the next world. So let's just explore this for a second. The Mishnah Kiddushin of Lametet and Bet says, And he will receive Olam Abba. A person who does a mitzvah, a single mitzvah, Hashem gives him good, and he gives him uh, longer days, and he inherits Olam Abba. We do not, uh, he does not uh, receive this goodness, and he does not um, get this length of days, and he does not receive his Olam Abba. So the Gemara makes a conflict of, of, the, of this Mishnah with another Mishnah in Peyah that we know that only certain mitzvot do you get schar in this world and not others. Um, so the Gemara eventually asks the question directly. I, I, I put this in, high, in, I highlighted this. And the Gemara comes out that there's two opinions. Abaye and Rava. Abaya holds that all of the Tanaim agree that there is schar in this world and that there is onesh in this world. Some days you have good days, some days you have bad days. Some days Hashem decides to reward you in this world, some days Hashem decides to punish you in this world. Rava holds that there is a Tana named Rabbi Yaakov who holds schar mitzvah bahai al maleka, that there is no reward for uh, mitzvot in this world. The Tanya. As we said in the Brayta, Rabbi Yaakov Amer, "Ein lachakol mitzvah mitzvah shaktuva betorah b'shematan schara betzida shein tchiat hametim tuleyaba." You never find the mitzvah in the Torah which is written, which isn't related to tchiat hametim, which is olam haba anyway. Bekibuda ve'em ketiv lemani ari chunya mechatz ulemani tavlach, and by b'shiluach haken ketiv lemani tavlach beharachta yamim. So all of those times when it says lengthening days, we know b'der mipiyah kabbalah that lengthening days means 
that we're going to have Olam Abba. So every time that it says that you're going to get schar in this world, it also says that you're going to have, like it, like it says in our Pasuk, So every time the Torah says that you're going to get a reward, it's speaking about Olam Abba. That's the, what the Tanar Biakov holds. So if that's true, that we only get reward in the next world, that also begs two more questions. First of all, why would we get punishment in this world? If it's true that we don't get reward in this world, can we get punishment in this world? And secondly, what are the Pesukim here talking about? The Pesukim over here are clearly telling us that we are going to um, receive prosperity in Eretz Yisrael. It would be difficult, possible, but difficult to argue that this is all of these psukim, even the earlier ones, are talking about Olam Haba because this was Moshe Rabbeinu's promise to the people entering the land. So, and not to the people about Biat HaMashiach, at least Al-Pidarach HaPshat. So the Rambam deals with this. And the Rambam in Hilchot Teshuvah Perektet discusses the ideas of Sechar Onesh. And he says that the truth is the ultimate reward and the ultimate punishment for people will always come in Olam Abba. Let's read the, read the language of the Rambam together. He says, We've already established that all the goodness that Hashem is going to do if we, if we watch His mitzvot and we learn His Torah are going to be in Olam Abba. As it says, And because we have a pasuk which says that we're going to receive Olam Abba for our, for our mitzvot. And the punishment And we also know that the punishment is going to be a spiritual punishment, similar to karet, um, for all the rishayim who don't who don't keep the Torah. So that's also a punishment in the world to come. Why does it say so many times in Torah in the Torah that if you listen to the mitzvot that you're going to get this and this reward? And if you don't listen, this is going to happen to you. All those things which are speaking about uh, this world, like satiation, and hunger, and war, and peace, and sovereignty, and, and uh, is no good word for English, and subservience, I guess, and living in the land, and exile, and success in your actions, and all the different things of the covenant. All of these things are true. That when we did Hashem's, when we did Hashem's will, we did have a bracha, and when we didn't do Hashem's will, we did get these evil things before us. We were sent into exile. But fundamentally, Rambam says, my question still stands. These are not the ultimate rewards. This is the explanation. Hashem gave us this Torah. And if, yes, if a person learns the Torah, and yes, if a person does the mitzvot, he will receive all the chachma and all the scharfred and lom haba. However, the Torah makes us a promise. And 
וישפיע עלינו כל הטבות מחזיקות את ידינו לעשות התורה, כגון צובה ושלום וריבוי כסף וזהב. הרמב״ם says that what the פסוקים here are talking about is not reward. The פסוקים are speaking about prosperity. They're speaking about a tool that Hashem is going to give us. If we follow the commandments and we learn the Torah and we do all of it b'simcha and we are miyageh and we work hard, Hashem is going to give us the tools that we need to learn without interruption, without obstacle. However, if a person does not keep the Torah and a person does not work um, and he goes astray, then he's going to cause for himself problems because he's not going to receive these blessings of prosperity and he's not going to be able to, to have the freedom to live his life as religiously and as zealously as he'd like to. He won't have the free time to learn. He won't have the free time to do mitzvot, and he's going to cause himself more problems. And the Rambam says further, Hashem is going to give you all these good things with uh, all the things that we need in order so that you, you wouldn't have to worry about our bodily needs. We will have the free time to learn Torah and to do Hashem's commandments. And this is the idea of this haftachah, olam abba, that the, the Hashem of, uh, of all the, uh, the mitzvot, and the Ramam goes further to, to explain how easy it is for us to, as soon as uh, we receive all the goodness, to suddenly, you know, take it, to be, feel independent and to, and, to, and to kick back and to think, oh, we're good. So even though the Torah promises us that if we devoutly love Hashem and we and we do all of his mitzvot and he showers us with his prosperity we should still be very careful that we shouldn't it should, we shouldn't let it get to our heads we shouldn't get comfortable and feel like all of this thing is ours and that all of these things are here to stay and that we'll always be free and have and have the time to learn or that we'll always um, have this money of our of our or this bracha of our own accord because once you do that once you feel independent you're suddenly going to start forgetting how you got this this uh this success how you got this bracha and that's going to lead to passions for other things it's going to la- lead to the passions for all the things you were trying to avoid in the first place so that's ibikitsur the idea of scharva onesh according to the rambam there are others who have different mechanics for how scharva onesh works um, it depends. Obviously, if this is already a machloket tanaim, it's a machloket of the early, early sages, then it's going to take us a, a very long time to discuss all the mechanics of scharonish, how it works, um, if it's involved in any theodicies and things like that. So next week, Bezrat Hashem, will continue with uh, Vayomer. Perhaps we'll continue with Emet uh, Viatziv if we have enough time, and we'll do that paragraph as well. But uh, for now, I think we'll probably continue with uh, the... Uh, with uh, the parashav tzitzit.